Today we're going to continue our Bible study. As, as we continue, we're going to move into the fifth chapter, uh, the last chapter of 1 John. We've been going verse by verse through 1 John again tonight. Today we're going to move into this last chapter, the fifth chapter. As we, as we move into the fifth chapter, every week uh, it's important to understand the context really is everything. And it's hard to understand what the verses are saying. And that's, that's in all of Scripture. It's hard to understand what's going on if you're absent from the context. And so we have to, to understand the context. Well, remember, uh, false teachers, false teachings are really threatening to destroy the church. They're threatening to derail the church. And that, that was the threat... Now, the Apostle John had, 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 had served. He was older in his life, but he sees this threat uh, attempting to derail the church, to destroy the church. Now, what had happened was uh, there were different, or just let me just tell you, wrong teachings about Jesus that were creeping into the church. There were wrong teachings about the, the, the truth of the gospel, the, the form of the gospel that were, that were slipping, easing into the church. And the, the threat is that in, in, in this mistruth going in, that if it's left uncorrected, that the gospel will be lost. Let me tell you the danger always of false teachers, the danger of false teaching is that the truth of the gospel will be lost. Listen very carefully today. Jesus saves but only the true Jesus. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's what his own word says. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but only the real gospel. A false gospel has no power. The truth sets us free. That's what the Bible says. We are set free. We're saved by the truth, but there is only one truth. And that, that's, that's the reality. Sometimes in this age, we think, well, you know what? There's different versions of the truth. There's their truth and my truth. No, there is always just one truth. There is just one Jesus Christ. There's just one gospel by which we're saved. And so these false teachings are threatening the cause of the church. As bad as it was then, and here comes this old man, and he, he writes this letter to correct it, the Apostle John as bad as it was then, I want to tell you, I believe right now it is hundreds of times worse in our day. I believe with social media and I believe with the, the way that information can go out, I believe false teachers are springing up and false teachings are, are sifting into our churches. Well, that's a, a solid church and here comes a false teaching and it enters in. I believe it's hundreds of times worse today. And so we find here the context is John writes to correct it. Here's the false teachings, and they're slipping in. So he writes this letter, 1 John, to set it right. As the false has gone out, it has corrupted what it means to be saved. That's the, that's the reality. That's the, that's the outcome. As the false has entered in, it has corrupted what it means to be saved. And so there's some folks that think they're saved, but they're still lost. And that's a, that's a horrible thing. They think They've heard the truth. They think they're saved and they're still lost. There are some saved people who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, but now they're hearing these different versions of the gospel. And so they're wondering, are they truly are saved? If they truly are saved. And so with all of these lies, what's going on in the church, they're having a hard time discerning the truth. There are lost people that think they're saved. There are saved people that are wondering if they're lost. All of these messages are hitting the church. And so they're having a hard time discerning the truth. John, in this letter, if you think about it, we've been through four chapters, heading to the fifth chapter. He keeps telling them 
what it means to be saved. He keeps telling them this is what it looks like to be saved. And as you've, if you've noticed the pattern, he says this is what it is to be saved. This is what it looks like to be saved. This is what it looks like to be saved. This is what it means to be saved. And, and as you notice, it is repetitive moving through the letter. It is circular moving through the letter over and over and over again. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it looks like to be saved. He restates it. He reminds. Do you know why it's important for you to read your Bible consistently? Do you know why it's important that you would come to the men's lunch? You know what? I'm going to be at the men's lunch. You know why it's important that you'd say, you know what? I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be where there's a Bible study going on. I'm going to be where the, the Bible is truthfully and accurately preached. And I'm going to consistently do those things. You know what? It's not, well, when I can, it's not as it fits. I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to commit to reading my Bible. I'm going to be at the men's lunch. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be studying and thinking and reading my Bible. It is because we need for it to be restated. We need for it to be reminded because for some dumb reason, as soon as we quit hearing, as soon as we're not reminded, we start to slip back. Isn't that the truth? We start to drift away. As fast as we're not reminded, as fast as it's not in our eyesight, as fast as it's not going into our ears, we begin to slip away. We begin to start to be lured into the things of the world. We become numb to these tremendous truths that we're seeing as fast as we're not reminded. And so listen, we have to be reminded. It needs to be restated. And so once again, headed to the fifth chapter, John reminds us again. First part, what does it mean to be saved? He's covered it, he's covered it, he's covered it. Fifth chapter, what does it mean to be saved. Chapter 5, the first part of verse 1 says this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It translates begotten of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What does it mean to be saved? All of this false teaching, all of it then, all of it now. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of of God. It starts off and it says, whoever. And I, I want to make that very profound to you. It means whoever. Whoever. Well, do you know about their sin? Whoever. Do you know about their past? Whoever. Well, do you know maybe this and that? Listen, whoever. Whoever believes. The word believes means believing. It's actually a continual tense of the verb. It's not to believe at a point. It is to believe at a point, but then it's to continue believing. It literally translates trusting. And so it is a, it is a trust. It is a continuation of that trust. Whoever believes, whoever is trusting that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Today we lose some of the hugeness I believe, of Jesus being the Christ. And so we talk about the Christ, Jesus Christ. We really just call it, really make it part of his title. Maybe we, we use it as his name, Christ. We, we, would, we would desire that Christ would do this, or we would pray in the name of Christ, or Jesus Christ. And I think we're losing some of the hugeness of, of what the Christ really means. The, the Christ really holds this huge understanding Christ means 
Messiah. It's the Greek form of the word Messiah. Messiah means anointed one or marked one. This is the one marked. This is the one anointed. It, It means the one that is from God. The Christ, the Messiah, is marked from God because he is from God. The Messiah was the one who would come to be the Savior, the one who would save. The law, the Old Testament law, it revealed to them that they needed a Savior. You know what? We're not keeping this. You know what? We're not able to keep this. The sacrificial system revealed to them they needed a lamb to take away their sins. They needed a Savior for sin. The prophets told them, there is coming. Do you see your helplessness? Do you see your hopelessness? There is coming one who will be a Messiah, the Christ, from God, marked by God to be the Savior of the world. And so understand, these folks, they are looking for the Savior. You know what? This thing's pretty pointless. We need a Savior. You know what? This is sure hard. We have no hope. We need a Savior. We need a Christ. We need a Messiah. We need the anointed one, the marked one from God. And so their eyes are set to the horizon looking for a Messiah, looking for the Christ. It says that they believe that Jesus is that Christ. Now what that means is this. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Jesus grows up there at Nazareth. Jesus has skin. Jesus has flesh. We've spent all this time looking for a Messiah. We've we've looked at the scriptures and it was pointing to a Messiah. It says this, now we have our Messiah. Behold, born for you today is Christ, who is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And all of this mistruth going out, all these lies going out, the truth is this, the point is this, and this is what John is saying. We are saved alone in Jesus Christ. We are saved alone. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ by trusting that Jesus is the Christ. John says this, here's all this misinformation. You're all mixed up. You do not understand what the gospel is. He says the truth is this, we are saved alone by faith in Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 But as many as received, believed him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's only in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, our Lord says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you hear that? No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Not one person is going to slip through and come to restoration with God the Father except through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. Do you hear that? And there is salvation in no one else. God says that. For there is no other name, not Allah, not Muslim, not, not the prophet of some other religion. There is no other name by which we must be saved. It's been given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6. For there is one God and one Mediator, one, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as the ransom for all. John is back, and he's going to come back, and he's back again. 
We are saved alone. Our hope alone, our peace alone is in the person of Jesus the Christ. Listen, in in 2018, that has to be our cry today. That has to be what comes out of our pulpits today. That has to be what we sing today. That has to be the training of of our kids today. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is no other way. We have to sing that. We have to preach that. We have to teach that. We have to raise up our kids to know there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. That's not popular. That's not tolerant. Some's going to say that's not loving. That's hateful. Listen, we're going to have to stand in an age when the world is going a different direction and say there is hope alone in Jesus Christ. Wow. John says, listen, What does it mean to be saved? It means that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean to be saved? That's what it means. What's the hope? That's the hope. What's our answer? Man, there's so much crazy stuff going on today in our world. You know what our answer is? I I don't care who they confirm as judge. I don't care who gets elected what. You know, our world is falling apart. The hope of our world is Jesus the Christ, the Savior for sin. That's what it means to be saved. You know what he comes back to next? So here's what it looks like to be saved. Well, I'm not sure what it looks like anymore. It's been distorted. What does it look like? Does it mean you always get the job you want? What does it look like? Does it mean you walk around and all these things fall into place for you? Because that doesn't happen to me. Does that mean I'm saved or not? So we know what it is to be saved. What does it look like to be saved? And I'm going to tell you, these aren't popular. You're not going to sell books by saying, do these things. But this is what it looks like to be saved. Let me read the rest of verse 1. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Those begotten of God, those that are saved, those that that have put their faith in Christ. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. The first way he says that that it looks, if we're going to be, if we are followers of Christ, is we love our fellow Christians. Remember the the word we've looked up, the definition, it means that we self-sacrificially give ourselves for others. That's the New Testament definition of love. Listen, as, as Christians, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a Christian? It means you love your fellow Christians. Well, I'd rather have a sign from God. I'd rather have lightning strike my car. car. You know what? It means you love your fellow Christians. Here's the point to that, and we're going to see it in both of these pieces. We're not like the world. We're not like the world. We are killing ourselves trying to be like this world. We are not like this world. You know what this world does? This world undercuts you. This world backbites. This world will find you down. They'll kick you while you're down. They'll take your stuff while you're laying in the street. This world will gossip about you. This world will say hi to your face and then walk around behind you and tear you down with their words. That is this world. Our world destroys. Our world is jealous. I want your house and I want your wife and I want your car and I want your money. I want your stuff. Our world is jealous. Our world is self-serving. It is about me. This says this. You know what? We're not like the world. We have a different system. We have a different priority. We have a different Lord. It's Jesus Christ. The Bible says we love the brethren, Christians. That is so radical. That is so standoutish, if that's a word that it's how the world's going to know we're Christians. That's what he says. You know how they're going to know we're Christians? It's because we're not backbiting. We're not undercutting. We're not seeking to serve ourselves. 
We're serving each other at our own cost. The second way that it looks to be a Christian, you know what, here's the first way we love one another. Second way is this. I want to read verse 2 and verse 3 together. By this we know that we love the children of God. And it says, how do you know you're, you're saved? It's because you love the children of God. Well, how do you know you love the children of God? It tells us this. How do you know you're saved? When we love God and observe his commandments. When you love God and observe his commandments. Verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We know that we are saved when we love God. When we see God. When we are astounded by God. When we are amazed by God. You know when you're saved, when you, when you wake up and say, man, I can't even imagine how holy our God is. I can't even imagine looking around how, how awesome he is in his creative power. I can't imagine how, how kind he is to even know about me and be gracious and, and show me mercy and grace. You, you are saved when you love God. And then you're saved when your love for God drives you to obedience to God. Let me, let me show you some words here. There's a lot in the translation. We love God and we observe his commandments. That's the verse. Verse three says, and we keep those commandments. So what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You love God and because you love God, you observe his commandments. In verse three, you keep his commandments. Observe, now listen to this, it's important. Observe in the Greek means to carry out his commandments. You love God and so you simply, you do his commandments. You carry out his commandments. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't use the same word. In, in verse 3, he uses a different word. Verse, verse 3 says you keep his commandments. So in verse 2, you're doing it. You're carrying it out. You're putting it into practice. Verse 3, keep in the Greek means you guard his commandments. You're watchful over his commandments. You do not let go of his commandments, which means this. You know what? The, the word of God says that this is the truth. But that's not popular in 2018. That's not what we consider love in 2018. And so we're going to start to bend it a little bit. It says, you know what, you, you do it in verse 2, you keep it in verse 3. This is what God has said, and we stay with the plumb line of God's word. What that means is this. As Christians, we love God. We're astounded by him. We can't get enough of him. We want to think about him. We want to read his, about him in his word. We're drawn to him. And so we love God, and that love for God propels us to be obedient to God. The word for commands means his dictates, his orders, what he, is, he, what he has laid out. It means for us to, to live as he's called us to live. You know what, I, I want to do what he's called me to do and I want to uphold what he's called me to do. As Christians, I desire to do that. I observe that, I keep that, I do not let it slide. And then it says this, and I think this is very telling. It says, and his commands are not burdensome. You know, you know how you know you're safe? because you love God. And when you love God, you want to be obedient to God. And you're going to live according to his word, and you're going to keep his word. You're not going to seek to bend it. And then it says this weird thing, 
And his word, his commands are not, it's not burdensome. The word burdensome means pressing down with oppressive force. Pressing down, putting a weight, pressing down, grinding you down. Listen, the commands of Christ. Christ says, you know what? This is the best way to live. Christ says, this is the best way to speak. Christ says, this is the best way to treat your neighbor. Christ says, this is the best way to order your home. This is the best way to treat your wife. This is the best way to raise your kids. This is the best way to handle your finances. The commands, the the orders of Christ, those commands, listen, they're not a sentence for us as believers. Sometimes we act like, well, when did you get saved? You put your handcuffs on. It's not a sentence for us. It's not a, well, you got saved. Here's your your 10-pound rule book. Keep this thing. Here's your rule book. It's not a set of rules that he puts on you. Oh, I've got to change. Oh, I've got to change. I put my faith in Christ. I've got to start to obey. Oh, I've got this weight on me. No, listen, what it means is this. You see God and you see Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And you, you love him and you begin to love him more. And as you know him, you begin to love him even more. And it blesses your heart to walk in obedience to him. It is a joy to your heart to obey him. And when that starts to happen, the things of the world become pathetically dumb. The things of the world become a waste of your time. Oh, I can do all of that. It's a waste of my time. The things of the world, the greatest things are just empty things. But to walk in obedience with Jesus Christ, that becomes everything. To wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to live today in the will of Jesus Christ and I don't want to sin anymore and I've had enough of sin and I've had enough of this sorry world and I'm repulsed by it, but I'm going to walk according to Christ and I'm going to go to bed tonight and say, my Savior lives and I walked with my Savior on this day. That is the joy of your heart. Oh, I've got a burden. No, I don't have a burden. I have a joy in my heart. I'm not sure that's how we see it. You see, we say this, and I'm just going to be honest. Yes, I want to be forgiven. I've messed up. Y'all know that. Yes, I want eternal life. I want to go to heaven. I want to see my family there. I want to go to heaven. Yes, I want to be saved. But you know what? This obedience is just too hard. Looking more like Christ in the world that I'm in is just no fun. And so we would never say it with our mouth, but we live like it's just too burdensome. You know what burdensome is? Let me just tell you what burdensome is. Burdensome's divorce. Worse than death. It's worse than death. Burdensome is anger and strife, living with chaos in your heart. Burdensome is a broken home. Burdensome are kids that we see and, and they, they're dropped off at school and their home life is a mess and what's put in their heads a mess and the garbage coming on their phone is a mess and their little hearts are broken and you watch them and they're eight and they're nine and they're 14 and they're suffering. That's burdensome. Burdensome is, is your home a wreck and your wife not being led as you're supposed to lead her. Burdensome is addiction. Burdensome is pain and suffering for sin. Oh, it was so attractive. Burdensome is to stand under the weight of your sin. That is burdensome. But I want to tell you what a joy is to say this. I'm going to walk as best I can in the empowerment of God and the direction of his word. And I'm going to abide with Christ. And I'm going to go to bed and say, Lord, I want to be in your will. That's burdensome. 
This is joy. So how does that all come full circle? Now I sit there and go, we're, we're gluttons for the burdensome. We're, we crash into the burdensome. We seek the burdensome. What would make a person say, I'm sick of the world? What would make a person say, I'm going to live according to God's word? What would make a person stand up and be crazy enough to say, there's only one way to be saved. Everybody else is lost. It's how you view Jesus Christ. That's why he starts verse 1 with how he starts it. You looked for a hope, here's a hope. You needed a Savior, you'll perish without a Savior, here's your Savior. It all goes back to how you see Jesus Christ. The anointed, marked Messiah of God, the Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. Best thing that can happen for us as men here today is that we would see Jesus Christ. That our hope would be in Jesus Christ. That we would see the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Glad you're here today. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you're here. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for a forgiving, gracious, kind Savior that we mess up. We mess up our homes. We mess up our relationships. We, we mess up our marriages. We mess up our finances. We sin, we sin, we reject you, we rebel against you, we know the right way, we go the wrong way, we slander your name. Worse than that, we try to tiptoe around and carry it and we sin in, in the midst of that and we, we hurt your cause. But you love us. You do not give up on us, you do not write us off, you do not cast us into a trash heap. And when we were yet sinners, when we were steeped in our sin, in the height of our rebellion, there is a baby that's born who is Christ the Lord. There is a young child that lives and he never sins. There's a young man that grows and he never sins. And it's all that he might stand as the lamb. There's a lamb that walks to Jerusalem. There's a lamb that goes to the cross and he takes my sin and our sin. He dies that he might carry it far away. He bears it for us. He's killed in my stead, takes the wrath of God. He's put in a grave, and for those that rejected him, those that hated him, those that sinned, with the payment paid, with death defeated, he steps out. He's alive. He's victorious. He stands as Jesus the Christ. Lord, I pray we'd be impressed with that. Lord, I pray that we would, we would be shaped by that. I pray that we would love each other as Christians, that we would desire to know you and to keep knowing you, and we would walk in obedience and it would reveal the fact that there's a change because of a gracious Savior. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. I pray for the men in this room. Bless them. Encourage them. Lead them and use them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.